0: Oh. Our fathers fought, brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty. <laughs> I don't know why. I, that's, I never memorized that, but I, I know the first few lines, so it makes me sound really smart when I say that. That's the Gettysburg Address, I believe. Anyway, um, our philosophy here is to go, to gather, to grow, and to give. And I don't know if you know this, if you're new here, um, we've been going uh, this whole year, been focusing on go, been focusing on how to live uh, outwardly, how to uh, bring people in, to welcome people, to be missional, as we sometimes say it. Um, And then here toward the end of the year, we decided to do a series called Rediscover the Church, where we focus on what is the church about? And it's the idea of going back to the basics. A lot of times we can get off on a lot of different things, and it's just good to be reminded of what are we about. We've talked already about how um, the church is a gospel community. It's a kingdom community. It's an identifiable community. Uh, Tyler did a great job last week about how it's a worshiping community. And today we're going to talk about how it's a covenant community. Now, covenant's a word we don't talk about a lot. But covenant is key to God. Covenant, we tend to think of uh, today, covenant is like a marriage covenant. And people tend to be very casual about marriage covenants nowadays. But with God, covenant is not casual at all. God is full on 100% toward acting toward you and I uh, in covenant, even, even when we fail to respond accordingly. And that's the wonderful beauty of God. God keeps his covenant, period, with us, regardless of how unfaithful we are. Well, today we're going to look at a, at a section of scripture in Hebrews. And you have to understand that the book of Hebrews is one long argument showing the imperfections of the old covenant, uh, the, the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. And he's showing how the new covenant, inaugurated through Jesus Christ, is superior in every way. In Hebrews, we see how Christ is a better mediator. He's a better priest, and he's a better sacrifice. Think about this. I want to show you a picture here. This is what an Old Testament sacrifice would look like. Do you realize how easy, how absolutely easy it was for you to come to church today? I got one laugh because she understands. What would you have to do? You had to get up, shower. Maybe you didn't shower. That's okay. I'm not going to point you out. Put some clothes on, have breakfast, and show up, right? That's all you had to do for church today. In the Old Testament, it cost you something to come to church. If you were wealthy, you had to bring an ox with you. That's including dressing up the three kids and getting them all in the van and driving slow enough that you didn't kill the ox. Or you had to bring a sheep, a ram, or a goat. Or if you were poor, some pigeons. But it cost you something. You had to wait in line. It was a messy situation. The sacrifice had to be made for your sins. It was a big deal, but it cost you something. Take a look at this next picture. This is what the tabernacle looked like in those days, okay? Not everybody got to go in to certain parts of the, uh, of the uh, tabernacle. In fact, that inner part there where you see what we call the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant with God's glory coming down, the high priest only went in there once a year. To be in the presence of God, we come here every week and get to be in the presence of God. And you know what, guys? I, and, and I do it too. I'm not. I'm not trying to slap your hand, but we take it so casually. We don't realize how good we have it. We miss that because what? This is the norm. We come to church. Who showed up? Who didn't show up? How long did he preach? Did he preach well? Did he? Pre- I know you talk about that afterwards. Don't lie to me. I know that, right? Um but we take church sometimes too casually. So as we look at this passage, what I want you to see today, I want you to look for how Christ is a superior sacrifice. He's inaugurated this superior covenant that we now live in. And then I also want you to look toward the very end uh, of these three commands. That's what we're going to focus on today. These three commands marked by the words, let us. So our tradition here is to stand for the reading of God's word. So if you would, please stand. I'm in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, and this is the word of God. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after, say, after saying, "This is the covenant that I made with them," after those days declares the Lord, "I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds." And then he adds, "I will remember their deeds and their lawless. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more." Where there is forgiveness of these. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you have called your people today, and now you want to speak to them. Father, I'm amazed that every week when I go to prepare a sermon, as I open my Bible, I say, Lord, what do you want to tell your people this week? And I ask you to bless that time, and every week, Father, you bring forth what you want us to hear. So we ask now, Father, give us hearts that are open. Give us minds that are willing to think and to listen, to understand, and give us wills, wills that are malleable, that are willing to change, to honor you, and be obedient to you. We ask you now to speak to your people. We Ask your Holy Spirit to come and have free reign. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Please take your Bibles, if you will. Let's review a little bit. There's a lot of, a lot of deep theology here. We're going to hit some of this. If we look in verses 11 through 12, the priests would perpetually stand and offer sacrifices every day for hundreds of years. Every day, every day. Can you imagine what their sanctuary was like? The blood, the carcasses, the smells. That was worship in those days. It wasn't air conditioned. <laughs> you know, everybody didn't smell nice. Day after day, piling up these sacrifices only to repeat it all tomorrow, never reaching the goal of total forgiveness. So the next day, when they sinned, they had to come and do it all again. Christ, though, has sat down because nothing else is needed. Look at the contrast between verses 11 and 12 here. Every priest stands, Christ sits. Every priest stands daily. Christ sits for all time. Priests offer the, uh, the sacrifices repeatedly. Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Verse 14 sums it up. For by a single sacrifice he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He is perfected for all time. One sacrifice for all time. This emphatically contrasts with how Inadequate, the old system was. The old system inadequately dealt with sin, right? But now Christ's sacrifice perfects us. Perfects us who are being sanctified, who are being made holy. Notice it's not completed holiness. It signifies our continual need to continually come and participate in the benefits that we receive through Christ. There's a continual participation, a continual feeding by Christ through his word, by us through Christ and his word. A local newspaper had a a Sunday morning religion section that contained, among other things, letters to the editor. And it would be about various religious issues. Most weeks, they were pretty innocuous. But one Sunday, something was printed that became quite controversial. A man wrote, I quit going to church this year. I decided that I listened to sermons week after week. I decided it was just a stupid thing to do. After all, I went to church for more than 40 years, and during my lifetime, I probably heard 5,000 sermons. I can only remember about five of them. What a waste of time. And he signed signed it, bored and busy. Well, you can imagine, this sparked... A lot of controversy. A lot more letters to the editor. Some people wrote that sermons do make a difference, while others sided with Borden Busy's opinion, and they were basically, sermons were all meaningless and unnecessary. Finally, one letter was printed that ended the debate. This is how it went. I quit eating this year. Thanks to Borden Busy's insights, I decided that eating week after week was a stupid thing to do. After all, I've been eating for more than 40 years, and during my lifetime, I've probably eaten 5,000 meals. I can only remember about five of them. What a waste of time. Signed, starved, and stupid. You see, in order to grow as Christians, we come every week. Why? Because Christ feeds us. Even as you come, you won't even realize it, but over time, you're learning, you're growing. Christ is meeting your needs. He's helping you to survive as a Christian. Let's look at verse 15 here. So the Holy Spirit, we we, we have have this this, um, offering that he made, this sacrifice he made, and now the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that a change has happened. This change has happened in our hearts because God's laws are written on our very hearts, our very consciences. This new covenant absolutely changes us from the inside out. I don't know if you remember when you first became a believer. A switch was flipped in your mind, in your heart. And all of a sudden, there were things that were always okay to do, and all of a sudden they were wrong. Why? God's laws are written on your heart. We have this new heart, this new awareness of right and wrong. Verse 17. God no longer takes account of our sins, remembering them, because the blood of Christ has cleansed our consciences from the dead works we used to do to please God. Think of all the things you used to do to try to measure up to God. And maybe you're still living in that. But if you're a believer, Christ has finished that for you. You don't have to measure up again. Christ did it on your behalf. But now we have hearts that are ready to do his will, because his laws are written on our minds and on our hearts. Verse 18 concludes, Since sin is forgiven, there's no more need for sacrifices, which also points to the overwhelming sufficiency of what Christ has done as his sacrifice for sin. His sacrifice was perfect. There's no need to do it anymore. Period. So God's new covenant with us radically changes how we live. If we think about this, it'll change how we live. What are we to do then? Well, today I'm going to focus on three things: our heart, our head, and our hands. It's just a way we have of applying God's scriptures to us. So think about this now. When you think about your heart, as as you listen to the preaching, how should the heart change your affections for Christ? And I literally mean your affections. As you hear the word preach, does it is your heart warm? Do you do you want to love God more? Is there a new affection? for what Christ has done on your behalf. It should also affect your head. What do you know? What, have you, what will you learn today that will cause you to think differently? So it affects your heart, it affects how you think, but it also affects your hands. What are you gonna do? Your life should change. For years, I taught the Bible to students, and some of these, I don't even know if you guys remember this, but I used to tell them in that, in that room over there, I said, and I'd point to the door, I said, If you leave tonight and you go out that door and your life hasn't changed, you've wasted your time. So I would tell you, if you leave those doors today and God's word doesn't change you in some way, you've wasted your time. But the good news is God is faithful. His word does change us. But we have to do, we have to think about how are my affections changed? How are my thoughts changed? And how will my actions change? And we're going to do this by looking at three phrases These three let us phrases. But first, let's go to verse 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and then he's going to go into these let us phrases. But let's, let's look at this again. Here's a picture of the Holy of Holies. Okay, The Holy of Holies is over here on this side. The high priest, one man, would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And he had to be ritually clean. He had to be ceremonially clean. He had to be uh, cleansed of sin before he even entered in that curtain. And it was such a high honor for the high priest to do it, but it was such a scary thing. What they would do is they would tie a rope around his leg. Because if he died in there, who's going to go in and get the body, right? They would actually tie a little bell on his robe so they could hear him moving around in there. If they didn't hear him move, you know, everybody kind of leaned a little bit forward going, oh, okay, There it rang again, he's still alive. And I, I think about this, and I, I have all these questions that come to mind that we can't answer now. Who is the first guy that they didn't tie the rope on? How did they deal? I mean, that's what I kind of think of, you know, I mean, they, they tied a rope on, them, they put a bell on them. Why? Because someone didn't measure up, right? Well, think about how wonderful it is that we get to come and, and in a sense, I stand in the place, but I don't have to worry. They didn't tie a rope around my leg before I came up here. I get to come and freely proclaim the word of God. We get to freely come and enter into the Holy of Holies. Let's go back to verses 19 and 21 again. Look at what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we have this boldness, we can walk right in. It's like, it's like if your dad was the President of the United States and all this going on in the White House and you had to go talk to your daddy, and as a little boy, little girl, you walked right in the Oval Office and said, Daddy, I gotta talk to you. You could do that with boldness, right? I couldn't go walk into the Oval Office. They're gonna arrest me, right? But you could boldly go, why? He's your daddy. He's your father. We can boldly go and enter the holy places. But here look at here. We do it why? By the blood of Christ, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Now look what it says here. That is through his flesh. If you go to the gospels, when Jesus was on the cross, when he said, "It is finished," and he died. I think it's Matthew it says the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Now think about that. And, and by the way, this curtain, I think it was about four inches thick. It was a thick curtain. If a man is going to go in and tear open the curtain, how's he going to do that? Well, he's going to do it from bottom to top, right? But it's, it specifically says the curtain was torn from top to bottom. So it's like God reached down and went, whoosh, tore it open wide and said, you can enter into me now. The sacrifice has been paid. We have this new covenant, and through Christ, we can have boldness boldness and confidence to enter in. Why, verse 21, since we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ? Well, since we have this great high priest, God's covenant with us has provided some benefits. Let's look at these. The first thing I want you to see today is Christ motivates our hearts to draw near since we have this confidence, verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil confidence, and our bodies washed with pure water. We draw near in full confidence through continuous prayer and worship. We draw near to God's presence. You may be here today, and you may think, well, you know, I'm not really a Christ follower. All this language is kind of Strange and new to me. Well, I'll tell you what. Becoming a believer in Christ, you can draw near to God. We know we have access to God because God tells us. We have access to his presence. And if you, if you don't miss anything, or I don't want you to miss anything, but don't miss this. Have you ever thought that God's presence is the essence of our existence? Think about this. God's presence is the essence of our existence. We're here today, you're listening, you're breathing, I'm speaking. Why? Because of God's presence. It's the essence of our existence. It's always the, also the means of our existence. How can we be here? You listening, me talking, because of God's presence. Colossians says that in Him In Christ, we live and move and have our being. That that happens every day, whether you're conscious of it or not. You're living and moving and having your being because of Christ's presence. That's a deep thought, but we don't think about that. Today at lunch, when you're eating a sandwich, you may pause and thank God for the food, but when you're eating, when you're sleeping, when you're exercising, when you're doing the wash, when you're changing a diaper, when you're in the middle of a heated argument, when you're sinning, you're able to do that because of God's presence. In him we live and move and have our being. And Christ's presence is also our end. What are we all working for? We're living our lives so that someday what? We can go and be With God and his presence. So God's presence allows us to even be here. He allows us to continue to live here. And someday we will go home to be in his presence. So we have this full access to draw near to his presence. So we're practicing now, today, what we're going to be doing forever. It's a good way of putting it. This is just practice, this isn't game time. Game time comes later, we're practicing now what we're gonna do then. So we draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of faith, why? Because of what we currently experience based on Christ's past actions. Our hearts are sprinkled clean, our bodies are washed pure. Both of these ideas go back to the Old Testament sacrifice. Our hearts are sprinkled clean, the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice. Our bodies are washed pure. The priest would have to fully bathe before making the sacrifice. Then it says, now the once and forever sacrifice of Jesus moves what was a ritualistic thing. They had to do this day after day after day after day, right? It's moved it from this ritualistic purification to real-life transformation. His laws are written on our hearts and minds. In other words, what you used to have to do daily has been done and continues being done in our lives now. We live in this positional and practical sanctification. Think about this for a second. We live in a positional and and practical sanctification. Christ, God is satisfied with Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. So we're positionally holy or sanctified, right? We were sanctified because of what Christ has done. We are being sanctified. We are becoming more holy, and someday we will be sanctified. That's why it says here, I think in verse 19, those who are being sanctified. That's the wrong verse, but it's in there. So we're practically sanctified or practically made holy because our consciences are free, because our sin is removed. So now we do good works. Not to be accepted by God. But because God has accepted us, we do good works. We live by faith. That's what living by faith means. It's an understanding that what I have done is accepted by God. I don't have to work hard to measure up. There's a guy named John Patton. Here's a picture of him. He was a missionary to the uh, New Hebrides Islands. This is what we would call uh, Vanatua, Vanatua. I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's where it is. He was in the process of translating the Bible to the islanders there. And he was very frustrated because the islanders did not have a word for faith. And he was trying to figure it out. What, what word can I use from their context to translate into this word faith? And one day, this islander that he was working with came into the house that he was at and just flopped down in this big chair and just gave up a big sigh of relief. And the missionary looked at me and said, um, what is the word for what you just did he goes what do you mean he goes well you know you came in here and you just kind of sat down and went, ah, what's the word for that and the guy gave him the word and there he knew he had the word for faith without hesitation or reservation the man had totally committed his body to this chair he had felt he had a need for rest and he was convinced that the chair provided the place for rest And he committed himself to the chair for rest. That's what we do in Christ. We just kind of plop down and go, oh, thank God. I can rest now. We just rest in Jesus. We need to remember our positional righteousness before God and live in that, rest in that. We boldly draw near to his presence. I've known people who have uh, got involved into an area of sin and just quit coming to church. They quit coming to youth group. They quit coming to Bible study. This will happen to you. And when when this happens to you, when you just feel like, I I can't go back there. Those people have it all together and I I know I've been doing this or in this sinful act. I, I can't go back there. When that happens to you, you have to remember, you're holy because of what Christ has done. And you need to live into that. You simply confess your, your sins and you return to Christ. You return to God's people. Practically, you have to remember, I'm holy because that is what you are positionally. Secondly, Christ motivates our minds. He motivates our hearts because of all he's done now. He motivates our minds to hold fast to our confession. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. This confession is the confession that Christ is a fully adequate sacrifice. That's what we're confessing. I don't have to do anymore. Christ did it all. This secures our trust to hold fast to him, Right? So the writer reminds us to hold fast to our confession firmly without wavering. Why? Because God is faithful. If God promised it, it's settled. It's not based on how I feel. It's not based on whether I sin. Uh, We would call this the perseverance of the saints. In other words, a true believer is going to be around in the end. From time to time, we may get discouraged. We may get frustrated. Occasionally, we're going to fall into sin. But our faith and hope are never in vain because he who promised is faithful. God is going to persevere on our behalf. He said it. That settles it. Came across this story. It's kind of an unusual story and that this would never happen today. But there was a, once a young boy whose dad left him on a downtown corner. And told him to wait here until he got back in about a half an hour because his car was was parked several blocks away but the father got to the car the car didn't work it had broken down he tried to get it fixed he's working on it it takes time finally a few hours later he comes back waiting to find his son in a state of panic but the boy's just standing there looking into the store windows and his dad comes up and apologizes. he says weren't you worried Did you think I was not even going to come back? The boy looked up and replied, No, Dad. I knew you were coming back. You said you would. That's the way we need to be with God. God said it. That settles it. Why are we doubting? Why do we forget? Why do we not remember? He who promised is faithful. God answers may see him a long time in coming, and I've got questions that he's never answered, and I'm sure you do too. But understand this, those answers may be a long time in coming. Waiting can seem uncomfortable, can be painful. But we can always expect him to do what he said he will do. He who promised is faithful. So Christ motivates our hearts to draw near. He motivates our minds to hold fast. And thirdly, Christ motivates our hands to provoke one another. That's right, I said that, provoke one another alright verse 24 let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near now first of all notice the one another here the one another is our brothers and sisters so take a moment look at the people on your right and your left All right. Your brothers and sisters, I take your finger and right now just provoke him in the ribs. Both sides, okay? Let's look at this passage. This is what we're going to do. We're supposed to provoke one another. Notice the word here, consider, first of all. Let us consider, okay? The word consider means to give careful attention to. Specifically to a person, to study that person, to think about them carefully. Husbands, wives, we would say, you need to understand your spouse. That's what we would say. Consider them. Not just think about them, but understand them. This is the word um, in Luke where Jesus is teaching. He says, Consider the lilies of the valley, even they have more glory than Solomon. So he goes, Take a look, take a look at these lilies. Study them, consider them, see how they are more glorious than even Solomon. It's also the same word where um, Moses saw the burning bush, and he drew near to look at it. He considered, he went over and studied it. He goes, this isn't something we see every day. It's a burning bush that continues to burn, right? It was new, and he went over to think about what's going on here, something's different. So we need to consider how to stir up one another. Now the word stir up means in a positive sense to incite, to encourage, or to provoke. The first Bible um, translation I read this in, it says to spur one another to love and good deeds. Now think about that. You're on a horse, you want that horse to go, what do you do You spur it, right? Some of us need to be spurred. Some of us need to be spurred hard. So we're to to study and examine one another how to motivate one another to love better, to serve more effectively. And one way we do this is by not neglecting coming together. Because how are we going to know each other unless we spend time together? So we don't neglect worship. But we encourage each other. Why? Because Jesus is going to return and we want him to find us faithful as he is faithful. You know, recently we, we dropped um, several members in our, in our church roles. And uh, a lot of these members, they hadn't been here in three or four years. It's people that neglected coming together. How can you be a part of a community, a family, unless you come together But it's more than just attending worship, all right? It's also serving with one another and knowing each other well enough to know, hey, here is, I see something in you and you would be very good at this. Have you ever thought about this? We need more people on the playing field rather than being spectators. Men, women, students, we need to serve one another. We need to get in the game. It's interesting. back here on the back table we have ministry teams and I think people get confused at what ministry teams are I've heard people say this uh, well uh, the women's ministry team has had a, a Saturday coffee event and I've heard a woman say well I'm not on the ministry women's ministry team so I can't go to the coffee now you need to understand our ministry teams are all designed to create events, to create ideas of how we can serve one another and serve the community. So just because you're not on a team, those those teams are there to make decisions about future events. The missions team, if you're not on the missions team, you can still serve mission events, all right? If you're not a woman, I'm gonna get myself in trouble here, aren't I? So just don't even go there. If, if, you're, if, if you want to go to a woman's event, you can go to a woman's event if you're a woman. <laughs> Saved, yes. <laughs> but the point is, you don't have to be on a, a, a team only to attend events. So think about that. As you go out today, look over there. You guys, you know, every one of you in here is so talented and gifted. And our, our body is weak when even one of you don't serve when you're not being provoked to love and good deeds. So we all need to be involved in that. Where can you begin serving so that you love better and you do good works for those around you? So, as we look at this again, finally, because of this superior sacrifice and this mediation by Christ, he motivates our hearts to draw near to him. He motivates our minds to hold fast, that our confidence is in what he has done, not what we have done. And finally, he motivates our hands to provoke each other to love and to good works. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God that you demand high things of us. And even with the high things that you demand of us, you don't leave us there. You continue to motivate us, to stir us up, to remind us of your goodness. Father, we're grateful for your sacrifice, what you have done on our behalf. Help us not forget that. Help us to remember this wonderful experience that we can come and worship you openly with a great freedom to come boldly before you, to ask for the things we need, to give you praise because we, we are a holy priesthood. We have the one true mediator in Jesus Christ, and now we can come and worship with an openness that we've, we've never known throughout history. Father, help us to be a people that are marked by love and good deeds. We pray now that you would prepare our hearts as we enter into your table. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, I tend to read from, um, from the account in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's interesting, this is a wonderful thing about God's Word. We learn new stuff every week, and God taught me something this week. Whenever you, you study Scripture, you're supposed to go to what's called the context. That's why today, before I told you about Hebrews, I told you, let me give you some background. That's setting the context so you understand. What are we talking about today? Where is it coming from? Because otherwise, we tend to pick a verse out and we just apply it to our lives, and it may have been not really applicable for us. It could be applicable to God's people in a different time or whatever. So I decided to say, what is the context of the Lord's Supper here that Paul gives us? Do you realize that 1 Corinthians, we're going to study this this year in our church, 1 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians was a church that was marked by great division. There were factions, people were like, I'm Paul's guy, or I'm Apollos' guy, or or, we don't like those people because, you know, they're too good for us, or we don't like those people because they're too bad for us. we, We tend to do that too. So Paul's saying there's a lot of divisions in the church, let me give you a picture of what division shouldn't be. And he goes, boom, here's the table. And it's the idea that as we come to take the Lord's Supper, um, we're all equal. We're all simply sinners saved by grace. You don't have it together. I know. I know you guys. Guess what? I don't either. We're all on the same playing field, at all level here. And there's great unity because we all come to cross we all come to Christ with our hands wide open saying here's my sin give me Christ this is what Paul says we call these the words of institution because Christ instituted this but Paul says what I received from the Lord I also delivered to you that the Lord on the night that he was betrayed he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We were reminding ourselves that he died in my place therefore i can live for him i always want to take time for for you to go before the lord and confess your sins because we're also told that we need to come to the lord with a pure heart we don't we're not going to tie a rope around your your leg right but we're going to give you the opportunity to go before the lord silently and say lord you tell me where I have not measured up. You remind me of the sin I've committed this week. And then you have an opportunity to confess that sin to him. So if you would bow your heads and less silently confess our sins to the Lord. Father, the, the quiet can be very uncomfortable for us, but you, you speak in the quiet. We thank you for reminding us of those ways that we have strayed, the ways we have failed to remember, the ways we have willfully gone against your commands. Father, thank you that you, you gently remind us of those things not to push us away, but to gently draw us back. And Father, we do confess those things that we've done willfully, and the things that we've just omitted, we've just failed to do. Father, we we are a wayward, lazy people. We ask you, through your spirit, stir up our hearts, spur us on to love and good deeds. We thank you now for this simple bread, simple juice, Father. How it administers your grace to us. Help us not forget of the great sacrifice that you have done for us. It allows us to boldly go into the Holy of Holies, to stand before you open and clean, not because of anything we've done, but simply because of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for undergoing the torment that you did on our behalf. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for taking this, applying it to our lives, for reminding us of our sin, for continually wooing us and drawing us back to Christ. Help us now. Give us a heart that once again is steadfast toward you. We ask this in Christ's name. If you're here today and you uh, cannot come forward, we'll have a deacon who can come and and give you the elements. And if you're here today and maybe you're not a Christ follower, this this is all new to you, and and you don't know Jesus personally, that's okay. I think it's great you're here. You're asking questions. We would ask you to not come and participate um, because this is a family meal. This is only for those who are truly following Christ. And if you're not, I would ask you just to stay in your seat. There's a a blue sheet in your bulletin. There's some prayers there that you can read. Our elders will be down front afterwards. They would love to come and talk to you. So you can come forward, ask any questions you want. And we are here for you. Uh, Typically what we do, we come down these two aisles, and then you'll exit and come back into your seat. So let's uh, receive the Lord's communion now.